0: Welcome to episode number 43 of the Plant Powered Radio podcast series on today's show from Massachusetts, John Sanbonmatsu. Dr. John Sanbonmatsu is editor of the book, Critical Theory and Animal Liberation, and author of the book, The Postmodern Prince. He is associate professor of philosophy at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, where he teaches classes in ethics, social and political theory, and the philosophy of technology. John is the founder and main designer at CleanMeatHoax.com. Thank you so much for taking the time today, John.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Janine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what's your vegan story? When did you enter this journey?
1: Well, um, I guess you know, it was in college. Um, I was in a bookstore in Amherst, Massachusetts, and I came across a book by Peter Singer, which uh, probably many of your listeners will have uh, will be familiar with, called Animal Liberation. Um, I had read a uh, an essay of Peter Singer's on another topic in my philosophy class. That was my first year in college, and um, so I was just curious to see what else he'd written. And so uh reading Singer's book um, you know, just changed the way I thought about our relationship to animals. Um and uh eventually, you know, once I became a, an ethical vegetarian, uh within a few years I became a vegan. So I guess I've been vegan since 1986 or so. So it's been a while. Cool.
0: You know, I, I just heard Peter Singer speaking yesterday at the National Animal Rights Day uh, event online, and he's actually a fan of the cellular meat. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, yep. so, so let's talk about that because there's not a lot of information. We're hearing about how it's gonna solve all our problems, but in fact, it might be creating new ones for us as well. Um, so what? who is behind the cleanmeathoax.com website, and how did that originate?
1: So originally, uh, Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns contacted me and asked my opinion about this technology. I hadn't really given it any thought, but the more I kind of looked into it, the more problematic it seemed to me from an animal advocacy perspective. And then Karen and Hope Buhannock with United Poultry Concerns organized a debate between myself and Vasily Stanescu, another critical animal studies scholar, debating Leah Garces of Mercy for Animals and Bruce Friedrich of the Good Food Institute. That's kind of how I became involved in this, and it was out of that debate that I began putting together this website, cleanmeathoax.com, with contributions and input from a number of other scholars. And it includes some leaders in the animal rights movement, like Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns, um, Justin Van Cleek of Triangle Chicken uh, Microsanctuary as well as um, some leading scholars in critical animal studies like John Sorensen up at Brock University. A number of people who have been involved in the project, although I've been the one responsible for most of the content on the site.
0: Peter Singer's book, Animal Liberation, a a number of people I speak to were influenced by that book and that was fundamental to their shift towards uh, vegetarianism, veganism. Why do you think people like Peter and and others so keen on the idea of of cell-based meat?
1: I think you know, Peter Singer has made an extraordinary contribution to animal advocacy. There's no question about it, and I have enormous respect for him and, and his work. At the same time, if you read uh, Animal Liberation carefully, because he's uh, what's called a utilitarian, which is a you know branch of moral philosophy, he leaves open some um, some loopholes. Let's say, for people who want to continue to exploit animals, to take advantage of. So Singer, uh, as I understand it, has basically Endorsed to some extent, small-scale animal agriculture, um, and and because he's a utilitarian, he's he's very much in this uh, mindset of uh, cost-benefit analysis, cost-benefit ratio. So I'm I going mean, I to get into the philosophy, but of that. But and also, uh, Peter Singer is um, he's an analytic moral philosopher, so he's he's thinking of this in in a certain way, and I think you know, again, with all due respect to him and his, and his work, I, I think he he doesn't understand the fuller context of, of this movement or how it's taking shape. What concerns me most about cell meats or uh, uh, what's called cultivated meat is that it's, um, it's doing a kind of end run around animal rights and animal advocacy and siphoning off a lot of energy in our movement. Because as you s- introduced this topic, you were raising the possibility, as Singer has, that this will solve all our problems, right? That it's kind of the magic bullet. Now, that message has been pushed very aggressively by Bruce Friedrich of the Good Food Institute, um, which is is really steering this juggernaut, which has attracted billions of dollars, probably uh, at least a billion dollars by now, in investment capital, what's called the alternative protein market is expected to be worth perhaps hundreds of billions of dollars in the years ahead. So there's a lot of money riding on this and a lot of momentum for that. But what people don't realize in our movement is that these technologies are being integrated into an overall platform of, quote, protein that includes factory farming, that includes small-scale animal agriculture, From the point of view of the meat industry, certainly this is not going to replace those traditional or conventional meats. And it's a dangerous message that I think that uh, advocates like um, Bruce Friedrich are putting out there when they say this is the solution. It isn't the solution. Um, Could it be part of a solution? I, I wouldn't even say that that's impossible. Maybe it could be. But only with a vibrant and efficacious Uh, animal rights movement. Because if the message that continues to be sent by the uh, cellular meat folks persists, which is that, well, you know, consumers need another choice, they need a healthier alternative, and so on and so forth. They're just setting up a, a future in which, yeah, consumers will go to the store, and they'll have their choice of regular Tyson's chicken, they'll have their choice of what's called chicken plus, which is a Monstrous kind of product developed um, by uh, Purdue. I'm sorry, not uh, Tyson, I meant Purdue. It's called uh, Chicken Plus. And this is a hybrid product that includes chicken as well as uh, cauliflower and some other vegetable products. That's been developed partly um, with help from Nick Cooney, the kind of disgraced animal rights uh, leader who started up these venture capitalist firms. So Purdue is making money by selling regular factory farmed chicken this hybrid of chicken and vegetables. And I have no doubt that they'll also be making a vegan product. So you see that the overall picture is it's not intended actually to replace the, the animal agriculture system.
0: So there's no ethical decision-making going on here. It's really a bottom-line financial decision because I'm guessing as people are moving away from animal protein, these big corporations want a piece of whatever is coming next. So, you know, what would the price be? I mean, if you go into the grocery store and and they're they're trying to say that labeling oat milk as, as milk is going to be confusing. I mean, what's more confusing than having like chicken A, B, or C variety? And you know, what would be the price benefit? Like, I just, I don't see why anybody would reach for that other product. So that's,
1: so that's the thing. I mean, the, the people who are most excited about the technology are the like 2% of the population that are vegans and vegetarians. So it's kind of an experiment in corporate mind control. So it's interesting to see whether, whether if you put enough, you throw enough money at a problem, you can actually manipulate people's uh, habits enough to get them to do a 180 degree turn, maybe Uh, because you can't, we can't uh, discount the power of corporations. But, uh, you know, there's this funny uh, scene in Portlandia where this couple sits down to this locavore restaurant and they're presented with a menu and they want to get a, you know, an ethically raised chicken. And they end up asking the waitress all these questions. And eventually she comes out with a portfolio about the chicken who has a name. And then they, then they leave the restaurant to go and investigate the farm. You know, there's no way a consumer can know. I mean, uh, Chipotle's in 2018 and 2019, investigative like undercover reports and whistleblowing reports uh, outed them. They were selling su- supposedly humane, ethically raised uh, animal products. And uh, what researchers found, first of all, was that they were they were actually sourcing some of their meat products from like the largest feedlot, factory farm feedlot in California, and labeling it humane and organic. Wow. And then they were also sw- a whistleblower uh, worked there, a manager, I think, documented that they were switching labels, so they would like take uh, you know chicken they bought from Tyson's and then slap you know an organic label on it. The point is, how can you know? And so if you're at a restaurant and it says, oh well, this is a laboratory or whatever, this is a synthesized, cultivated meat, and if the product literally is meat which means that even under a microscope, you couldn't tell the difference. I mean, I see there's a lot of potential for confusion there. And the other thing, though, what's, what's not confusing but problematic is from the consumer's point of view, they're still buying an animal product. And these companies are marketing uh, meat as an eternal, in other words, a permanent fixture of the human condition. animal flesh, we have to keep it. It's the most wonderful thing in the world, you know, and we need it. I know people like teed animals, but it's, it's not necessary. And there are many other wonderful things to eat. I mean, there have been vegan uh, restaurants in China for like a thousand years. This is the problem that, as you say, you know, there is no one guiding the shift ethically. Now, there are people in, in this movement who are well-meaning and are coming at this from an ethical point of view, but the, the bottom line is it's being left to the market, market demand, venture capitalists who are an incredibly ruthless, amoral bunch. The New Yorker had a whole article recently about venture capitalists and how amoral they are. So again, you know, it, it's, it might even be possible in some world where this, this technology could be useful or helpful, and maybe it will be, I, I can't say, right? But I can tell you this, that if we as a movement think this is going to take care of the problem, we're mistaken. It's up to us to move the society culturally away from relying on animals exploiting animals including their cells
0: right took me a while to realize that it's it's more than just what I put into my body. It's a whole philosophical, psychological shift that occurs. And the realization of the extent of exploitation of animals and what that does to us as a species. You know, I've spoken to people about what that does to us on a spiritual level. And uh, you can probably speak to what it does to us philosophically and how that's shaped our culture. So this idea that we can just introduce some new lab grown meat, soylent green comes to mind, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Which could go wrong, you know? And where, where are the whistleblowers gonna be? So what about the philosophical aspect of this? What does promoting this do? And the most compelling argument I've heard from vegans is that their, their cats will be taken care of. But how does this whole clean meat idea kind of dilute and challenge that what we're really trying to do as vegans is help reshape our culture into becoming more humane and more compassionate
1: you know I just want to briefly mention um, I don't have any objection personally to using this technology for cat food or dogs can eat, be vegan without any difficulty so I think it's philosophically ethically I think it's it's interesting if it's used for that purpose I'm not necessarily against all uses of this technology I'm just against the way it's uh, it's being marketed and and the assumption that it's going to solve the problem you know, In terms of, you know, veganism, you know, I I prefer to think of myself as, as, uh, I guess, an animal liberationist more than a vegan, per se. I mean, I, I don't, if I thought that this technology was going to do the trick, then I wouldn't have any objections to it on questions of veganism. But what you just said is really important, which is that those of us who are in the animal advocacy movement are trying to create a new kind of civilization. Now, what we mean by that is up for grabs. We could imagine a new civilization where animals weren't exploited, but we were still waging wars, where women still didn't have equality, where, you know, black Americans and people of color were still treated as second class citizens, right? In my view, you know, that vision of a, a new civilization is really one of, you know, you said compassion, definitely a society, a civilization based on compassion, empathy, nonviolence radical democracy, social justice, all of those things. So is this project, the cellular meat project, compatible with that sort of vision? Not really. (laughs) I mean, one of the big problems in society today, of course, is massive and growing socioeconomic inequality. That inequality leads to the enfranchisement politically of the wealthy and the disenfranchisement of working class and poor people then giant corporations and wealthy individuals like jeff bezos whatever they're able to control the terms of consciousness and thought and culture and business and economics and finances you know what does that mean well again it's like we're we're putting our movement at the feet of these people and saying hey do this great thing for us for the animals well there will be positive things that probably do come out of this cellular meat juggernaut, but there are downsides that no one seems to be talking about. Namely, that because it's being driven by venture capital, the billionaires behind this movement are going to become even more billionaireish. They can accumulate even more money. There's the question of food justice. At least initially, these products will be more expensive than conventional meats. The argument is once they scale up, they'll be able to out-compete conventionally uh, raised animal products. Is that possible? And no one really knows. I mean, it, that's the claim. But again, because the people like Bruce Friedrich at the Good Food Institute, um, Paul Shapiro, former uh, HSUS uh, executive and so forth, um, when these these folks are cozying up to forming alliances with praising the biggest, killers of animals on the planet. These are the same people who were behind the humane meat movement again in the early 2000s, you know, partnering with Whole Foods, John Mackey, Whole Foods to create, you know, this animal compassion partnership and so forth where animals can be killed in the billions and that's considered a partnership with, with them. Those are the, these are the same exact same, exact same people who are now in charge of this So to me, uh, at least the kind of vision that I think we should be moving towards is not that vision. It's not that vision.
0: For people who don't really get that there's also a humane hoax, I like that you've called your project the clean meat hoax because it it really is. It's some corporate trickery. We all try to encourage our friends to educate themselves about the issues and become vegan and One of my friends, she tried and she failed because she didn't do it right basically from a dietary perspective and it got frustrating for her just biologically. So she stopped and went, oh, well, I'll just be a humane vegetarian. I can go to the farmer's market and I can buy these products. And can you speak to the humane hoax? Do we have lessons from the humane hoax that we can take to this new challenge?
1: Yes, there's been the sea change in our culture around meat, right? That's uh, taken place over the last 15 years or so. It was driven by a kind of an alliance between the organic foods industry, small scale or smaller scale animal farmers being squeezed. Uh, locavores, people, you know, argued that we had to, we should eat only locally grown produce and and locally raised animals. Um, Michael Pollan's book, *The Omnivore's Dilemma*, which came out in two thousand six, kind of primed uh, this this pump or, or uh, created an intellectual framework or rationale for it. Uh, and the idea is that animals benefit too. So I could go into more of what's wrong with that. I'm actually writing a whole book cool. uh, right now on that subject called *The Omnivore's Deception*, um, which which takes aim at this notion of the enlightened omnivore. Right, the idea that well you know, no one wants to be a vegan, and yet we don't want those those terrible, ugly factory farms. So here's the nice compromise. The sweet spot in the middle is we'll just, as your friend uh, does, you know, we'll seek out cage-free eggs, which by the way, of course, cage, uh, eggs don't come in cages. Chickens <laughs> don't come in cages. Um, anyway, so that's gonna be the solution. Um, but, uh, you know, after 15 years of this movement, Americans are eating more meat than they've ever eaten before. There are more, you know, factory farming is growing everywhere around the world. Um, You know, animals are suffering just as much as they they did. They're being killed in even greater numbers than before. So it's not a solution. And furthermore, the whole notion that you can kill another sentient being humanely, except in moments of extremism, is to say genuine cases of euthanasia where you have a companion animal who you care about and you want to relieve their suffering because there's no choice. Killing in that context is completely different from taking a healthy juvenile animal and cutting that animal's throat or shooting that animal in the head or whatever. And so that's perverse. I could get into that, you know, but it's a kind of, this, uh, this, this all animal agriculture is is ultimately a kind of death fetishism and, and a uh, uh, normalization of violence extreme violence all of it is and it's always been the case for thousands of years it's not the problem is not factory farms so the humane meat movement and it continues uh, Leah Garces in her book uh, grilled uh, which is like another welfare book uh, you know constantly goes on and on about factory farming factory farming we have got to stop talking about factory farming we have got to start talking about animal agriculture as the problem. That is the problem, and the fisheries industry. It's the killing of animals that's the problem, and that occurs at, in, in every way. You know, it doesn't matter what the scale is. Uh, it's still uh, morally indefensible. So, the, so that, but that bill of goods was sold, and it was sold not only to the American people, the American consumer, middle-class educated people, largely. It was also sold to the animal rights movement, right? So the people got a lot of, this is the debate, right? That's waged in the movement for 20 years, or maybe not quite that long, but between abolitionists, right? And welfareists. Well, the we- welfarists have won for now. I mean, they, that I'm sorry to say that they have dominated the discourse because they've been in charge of the major animal advocacy organizations. You know, they've got money behind them. And so the humane, so the, the title of our website, Clean Meat Hoax, is again just the same. It's the same people behind uh, pushing this new technology. It's a similar kind of bait and switch, where you know the the you know what's being held out is the holy grail. We're going to have you know this is the hail Mary pass, as I like to call it. They're gonna, we are going to, we, we don't need to convince people to to care about animals. We don't have to convince people to embrace that vision that we were talking about of, uh, of a changed world a different kind of civilizational order uh, based on different values different institutions we don't need any of that and the, pe- the people say that Bruce Friedrich goes out on the stump and says that we do we're taking ethics off the table quote unquote that's a direct quote from Friedrich we're taking ethics off the table all we need to do is have this, you know, we can trust the venture capitalists to figure it out with this high tech thing, and then it'll all magically work out. You know, so yeah, so it's a kind of a sleight of hand, uh, and it's uh, it's not total flim flammery because I do think I don't think um, I do think that there's a lot of hype around this technology, but you know, it's it's likely that there there will be products on the market in the next you know several years. Um, but they will not be competing, out-competing traditional products. And it's unclear why my neighbors here say, who are not vegetarian and don't care about animals, why they're going to want to switch to that high-tech thing when they can have the real thing, right? The, the, the traditional uh, uh, product that's raised by hardworking farmers who are going to be put out of business by these evil uh, venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, you see the thinking here, right? That, so, meat still has this uh, attachment to authenticity, right? Consuming the animal's flesh, I could go into that. That's a whole, you know, thousands year history where humans build their identity up on the domin- dominance of other species, right? So, people, it's hard for me to see why people are going to be flocking to this untried un- uh, technology, food technology, when they can have the the real thing or the natural thing um that may even be cheaper you know
0: well and especially now that the the discussion of where maybe covid was released from a lab i i don't think labs are particularly high in people's uh, esteem right now so <laughs> Um, and what about this uh, this article I found about uh, job vacancy must be willing to space travel. So the European Space Agency is seeking a cultured meat specialist to go into space so they can colonize other planets, I guess, with this. Is this on your radar?
1: Well, you know, I was very glad you sent that link to me. I was astounded. I had not heard that. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, it's kind of flabbergasting. It's hard to know what to say, except that I'm I'm personally a big, I teach philosophy of technology, as you said, and uh, I'm very, very uh, skeptical of the idea of interplanetary exploration and of colonizing other planets. First of all, if you think about what it means to colonize, that didn't go so well <laughs> right. on this planet, right? Colonialism was a project of subduing and in some cases, exterminating, you know, the native inhabitants. It was tied to capitalism and et cetera, et cetera. we not such a good project. So the idea that we should colonize other places is ludicrous. And furthermore, the idea that we can go to some dead, dead world, dead planet, you know, like, well, wherever Mars or whatever, and terraform it. Create it into a vibrant living world that we can live on. We're destroying this world, right? All the animals on the earth are dying. We're in the greatest mass species extinction event in 65 million years. Global warming, of course, is, is uh leading to acidification of the oceans, et cetera, et cetera. So we have, we're having, we're, we're literally tearing up the life support systems of this planet. And we have the uh, you know, the hubris. And uh, you know, to to go and think that we can go to another planet and set up shop there, it's, it's just ridiculous. But it's interesting that Aleph Foods, this Israeli startup that's uh, went into spa- space to, to prove the viability of, of engineering beef up there, beef cells, uh, cow cells, is it's part of this uh, almost psychotic dissociation, right? That we, we as a civilization uh, have become prone to. The kind of wishful thinking of uh, you know a misunderstanding of what it means to be human and animal on this fragile, finite world. You know the idea that we can engineer a solution to our social problems, and this is where I disagree very sharply with Peter Singer, who seems to have uh, you know a lot of sympathy for the uh, cellular meat thing. Um, problems that are social in origin have to be solved through social means. Uh, Bruce Friedrich and uh, Wayne Piselli, who used to work for, um, used to be the president of HSUS Humane Society of the United States, these folks have, they've hitched their wagon to capitalism as a system. They think that capitalism is great for animals. Let me tell you, over the 500 year history of capitalism, it has not been good for animals. It has been a catastrophe for all forms of life on this earth, right? So so this kind of naive techno-utopianism that is was symbolized in that experiment in space is part of the problem to me. And yet, you know, but it will be, you know, Wired magazine will write about it and everyone will get all excited about meat in space. <laughs> but it's such a distraction from the problems that we have right here on our planet, you know, and we can't escape it. We are not going to escape those problems right. We're or engineer a way out of them.
0: Yeah, I remember, you know, years ago when people used to talk about clean up your room, like you can't just go mess up someone else's room. You got to clean up your own room first, right? So let's look at a little bit more intensely at um, the cell-based meat. And because some of the claims, you know, that it's going to solve all our problems. So in terms of uh, things like health and environment and ethics and the zoonotic uh, situation and animal liberation and inequality and food justice. So let's just run through those. So we don't really know about health. Is it is it going to not cause heart disease and diabetes and cancer the way that we know animal protein does to our body?
1: Um, I don't think there's very a very good answer to that. I mean uh, prima facie, of course it's going con- it's going to have the same those same problems because it's actually meat, you know Now they can engineer it that's uh, in ways that maybe has lower fat fat content or something like that, but it's still going to be the equivalent of you know whatever lean meat products. I mean so, so on the health question, I mean, just in terms of, uh, yeah, uh, nutrition and, and diet and stuff, it's, at best, it's unclear. And at worst, we, we just, I think, have to assume that, yeah, some of those same problems are going to, to come with this pro- these products.
0: Right. And it's interesting. There's a lot of research now on the gut microbiome. It's sort of uncharted territory. And and what they're learning is that it's a a whole ecosystem and that it really thrives on diversity, as our whole planet teaches us, that diversity is how we survive. And um, that the only thing it really likes is fiber and there's no fiber in meat. So... Um, yeah, so, the, but when I searched, I did a little search of the kind of Dr. Barnard and Dr. Uh, Gregor to see what they're saying about cell-based meat. And there's really not a lot, I guess, because they rely on research, right? And there's not really research yet. So,
1: you know, one thing that I've learned from looking into this a little bit is that, you know, with few exceptions, the research is really, um, being, as you would expect, you know, it's being driven and funded by the lobbyists for the technology so there's very little independent fact-checking out there Very and very little research because it's an untested technology. You know, it's hard to say. Um,
0: and how are they going to test it? You know, are they going to have
1: volunteers?
0: Uh, well, that's, have- a, that's
1: a question. There's a, there's a regulatory issue that different countries are having to, you know, different countries in, or uh, blocks like the EU are going to navigate that. And they have, you know, so the industry, uh, the, the meat industry uh, you know they have very high powered lawyers and patent attorneys and regulatory experts on board to try to uh, get this stuff um, approved I think Singapore recently approved the first um, uh, officially approved uh, the first uh, cultivated meat product last year maybe um, so people are already eating this stuff I mean there there are trials of it um, but you know they're gonna have to design you know tests that are going to placate the regulators. Uh, And I think they will, because this is such a powerful juggernaut. Uh, I don't think this, this, you know, under capitalism, the state is the tail on the dog, really. You know, I mean, that's why whatever the industry is, they're all always poorly regulated, whether it's big pharma or the nuclear energy industry or the military industrial complex. They're the ones in the driver's seat. So I don't think it's going to be a problem. They'll they'll get this stuff passed. Uh, it'll, It'll pass muster. I don't think that we, we have to worry that this technology is going to have produce more health problems uh, than regular meat products. And in some cases, I mean, like, there's also uh, work on uh, seafood, right? Marine animals, crustaceans, crabs, prawns, uh, you know, and so forth, who are their, uh, There their uh, companies producing um, seafoods, which are not as, uh, I mean, they're 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 healthier to eat than land animals, right? Generally, mm. I think. Well, I don't know. I'm not a nutrition guy.
0: Yeah, no, the plant-based doctors say no, we don't, none of it's any good. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I don't know.
1: But but you also, you asked about some of the, what were some of the other?
0: uh, Well, now I'm thinking about um, the zoonotic issue. So the idea that, uh, you know, um, SARS and MERS and COVID and swine flu, avian flu, you know, they're all the result of the way we exploit animals. So maybe this is a way of not exploiting animals in crowded conditions and removing their, their habitat. Is there something to that?
1: I think so. I think that that, that is, um, I mean, the thing is you, because you're, you're growing uh, animal flesh, there's always the chance for some kind of contamination, right. And the growth of pathogens, but in a lab or a vat, you know an artificial setting you can control that I I, I think a lot better than you could uh, in a live animal environment because as you say you here you have these suffering animals who are they're they're waiting in their own feces and urine and they're, they've got open sores and 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 their blood is everywhere and uh, and viruses there are trillions scientists estimate there are trillions of viruses native to the bodies of of animals on this earth, and they're just waiting to be unleashed by humans. I mean, think about that: millions or trillions of these viruses. So, if you don't have the live animal body uh, serving as a kind of production factory for for zoonotic potentially zoonotic uh, diseases, then yeah, you're you're doing better off. If you can. So, I think that part of the argument makes sense. Um, that it it would uh, it's safer that way. I think so.
0: All right. And what about, um, we've kind of talked about ethics and uh, food injustice. We've kind of talked about that, how it's not nece- it's not necessarily going to feed the planet the way that um, a plant-based world would feed the planet easily, right?
1: Well, on that point, I do want to say that, so the, the big selling point uh, of, of this technology, according to its boosters, is that it's, um, it's the it's the answer to sustainability right we the reason that this technology is uh, is even plausible or viable is because we're running out of earth given population growth it's a simple math problem there isn't enough animal there aren't enough animals that could be grown uh, raised on this planet to feed the demand that's going to be growing in the years ahead it just cannot happen there just isn't enough of a planet ecosystem left, and in animal agriculture, as I'm sure you and your, your viewers know, is the most ecologically destructive uh, artifact on the planet. It's far worse even than global warming. I mean, it's it's terrible. So everyone's aware of this. So, so this the technology is going is meant to fulfill, is meant to fill this uh, gap, or to solve this problem of sustainability. But even under the ideal scenarios being spun out by uh, the proponents of uh, cultivated meat, the technology is not as uh, ecologically friendly, as efficient, as sustainable as plant-based foods, period. And so is it, likely this technology will produce uh, fewer emissions and, uh, you know, fewer greenhouse gases emissions, um, use less water and so on and so forth than um, conventional animal agriculture, probably, and, and in some cases maybe significantly. On the other hand, it's inten- it's resource intensive to grow animal cells in a lab. You have to create a growth medium, right, which for some companies, has led to severe ethical problems because they've been uh, relying on what's called fetal bovine serum. Two million calves, or are, uh, are, are blood from calves, are taken every year, sold for various biopharmaceutical purposes, and so that that has been the growth medium. I believe that like Memphis Meats, that's what they were uh, experimenting with, and then they know that that's a problem for their image, corporate image. So they've been finding plant-based sources, but keep in mind that because you're growing animal cells, they need amino acids and sugars and salts and, you know, whatever. They need the whole thing to grow the way an animal would have to grow. So it's not just free. It's not like they're growing this stuff out of thin air. They're having to pump a lot of stuff into this. So where where the trade-offs come with sustainability is unclear. We don't really know what the I mean, there's, there's research being done, done in the industry about this, but the life cycle uh, of this, uh, of the inputs and outputs and how that plays out sustainability-wise, it's unclear. But as again, my main message there is that it, even in the best case scenario, it's not as ecologically friendly um, as uh, plant, plant-based foods.
0: It's it's kind of ironic if they're ending up feeding plant-based serum to these cells. I, again, you know that that's the whole argument with, with veganism is w- just eat the plants because that's what the animals are eating to grow their protein or whatever. So we can just eat the plants to grow ourselves too. What is this? What is this obsession that humans have with with the with meat? Like we, you know, maybe yeah, sure. There was a time when we needed to do this but certainly we do not need to do this anymore. Why are we so, why are we hanging on to this? Why are we clinging to this concept? So clinging
1: clinging is is the metaphor that I I use in my book. It's like, you know, we're on a sinking ship and we're clinging to the side, you know even while we're within swimming distance of a visible shore, you know we could get out of this situation and just do something else, but we're still stuck. So I think part of it, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of scholarship that's been done on this over the years, but I mean, obviously it's tradition, it's habit, right? It's fear of change. But then existentially, there's this connection that we have, this whole kind of mythopoetic universe around our use and domination of animals, right? So when people see a, a, a small animal farm, their heart melts, (laughs) the pastoral ideal, right? Oh, how lovely, you know? So uh, we connect meat to um, a kind of continuity of human existence, hunters, you know, back in the stone age, whatever, Uh, you know, the farmers of Mesopotamia. And that's a lot of how the locavore stuff has been marketed is continuity with these great, human traditions. So there's a, there's a romanticism and a mystique around the practice of animal agriculture. And then all of this is tied to an undergirded by, reinforced by contempt, violent contempt for non-human life. Hmm. Even people who think that baby chicks are cute, or, you know, they like to see cows in the countryside they have complete disrespect for their lives as individuals. They don't see them as individuals. So there's a whole ideology from the time we're born, right? The child gets a, uh, a you know, a children's book that pre- presents, that creates a, a whole new Linnaean classification category for farmed animals. You know, there's, you know, the kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. And one of those is farmed animals. So. Animals that actually did not grow up even in the same parts of the world are all lumped together in this one category. Chickens who grew up in South East Asia, you know, are put in with cows and, you know, uh, sheep. I'm just, and those, and they're all, but that's, so even the, day as infants, we're told, we all know, you know, Old McDonald's Farm, right, that song. So all that is to say that we're just socialized from birth to see all of this is natural right? And this arrangement, speciesism, and uh, not just as natural, but as, as appropriate, as right, as as romantic. And, but again, uh, we only have that view because we don't see animals as they are, as individuals, as persons uh, with, with consciousness, you know, with experiences and perspectives of their own. And it's no different from, you know, uh, the ideology of slavery or, or uh, you know, genocidal thinking. Absolutely not. No different at all. So I'm sorry to go on again about that. But the last thing I'll say is, and then part of this too uh, is, you know, I'm sure you've talked about on your program, there's this whole connection between meat and masculinity and virility, right? And so that, again, that's part of the whole mystique of dominance, dominance over the other. Uh, For example, Michael Pollan in his dreadful book, Omnivore's Dilemma, has a whole chapter on hunting where he goes out and, and kills his uh, mother pig, shoots her in the head. And um, it's just this big rush, big adrenaline rush. He's got this big smile on his face, covered in blood. He, he just, just, there's a joy in killing. And that has traditionally been tied to uh, masculine identity. Now, actually, what we're seeing, it's another topic, but we're seeing more and more women wanting to appropriate these tools of patriarchy for themselves. And they're getting into the killing animals but um so that's a long answer but meat is very complex it's not like any other commodity it just isn't so there are all these cultural associations and, and reasons why we're attached to it and people won't don't want to give it up
0: yeah yeah i would invite people to go watch your video about um where you it was something about lady macbeth and the okay. Yeah, you know the idea that uh, uh, women just oh just elect women and everything's going to be great. Well, you know we've seen what Maggie Thatcher and uh, Melon Albright and such women can do, and this um, this idea that uh, you know in order to become productive, important dominant women we have to sort of take on the masculine role it's really a fascinating whole other area of discussion Um, but that's a really great video and um, very eye-opening as well so when is your new book going to be released
1: well if if any of your listeners out there are high ranking um, executives with penguin or random house or Knopf or any of the big presses uh, it is uh it is gonna be marketed to you folks soon. (laughs) So uh, I don't have a press yet. I haven't haven't actually begun uh, circulating it, but um, hopefully, uh, you know, I hope to have it finished by early next year and then published maybe later in 2022 or 2023. And again, it's gonna be called The Omnivore's Deception, what we get wrong about meat, animals and the nature of moral life. Um, And it is the only book that I know of that is a complete takedown of the humane myth um you know these these, this argument that the problem is factory farming rather than animal agriculture so it's i'm not going to leave anything standing from that art from that position whether anyone publishes it and, uh, and reads it is another question but that's that's the book
0: well, there's, I mean, there's also the humane hoax. We have to shout out to Hope Bohannock's humane hoax, right? So, um, but it's- Oh, the,
1: um, who, who wrote that?
0: Hope Bohannock? Oh, humane. yes, yes, of course. Yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I am sorry for that. Yeah. So my book is, is, is quite different from Hope's because I, I'm really going into the history of, of the way animal agriculture um, has been represented and, and some of the um, ideology but yes that's an excellent book and I, I cover some of that ground so so yes thank you for that shout out for hope
0: yeah and also looking at this this clean meat idea the idea that we can just solve everything with inside of a lab take a pill and everything's going to be fine it's it's right. a strange uh, philosophy. Okay, and so we'll send people to Clean Meat Hoax. Um, in the meantime, then, you're also keeping busy teaching. Are you teaching? What's going on with that?
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, yes, I, uh, during the school year, I teach. At the moment, I'm, I'm, uh, it's the summer, so I'm off. I'm just working on my book. So that's a blessing.
0: And are you to having To able to cl- have,
1: have those summer months to, to get back to my writing. So that's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, well, you need a break from all that, too. That's hard work. Um, and it, are you in class, or is it online still? or what's going on with that situation in? Oh Boston?
1: no, yeah, we closed we uh, several weeks ago, so back in uh, about a month. So I don't have to go back until I think late August.
0: Okay, cool. Well, enjoy your summer, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time today, John. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Janine. It's great talking with you.
0: Our guest today was Dr. John Sanbonmatsu and the clean meat hoax. You can find more plant-powered radio by visiting us on YouTube and by subscribing to this podcast for regular updates. Please be safe and considerate towards all species and thanks so much for listening.
1: and encircles the earth for all beings everywhere.